0: We're going to be in this series most of the summer. It's called Hidden in Plain Sight. And this series is all about the parables of Jesus. And so we would love for you to engage with us and to help you engage and help you stick with us, even if you're vacationing or going to be out or going to be doing different things with different people. We want you to stay online and we've set up a new website. It's actually just a new page of our website that's at castleoaks.org. That's our website slash grow. Grow. And there at that website, you can find the passage for the coming week. You can find a list of discussion questions for every sermon. If you want to just do some reflecting and pondering, if you journal a bit, if you meet with a small group or you want to hang out with somebody and talk through things, dig a little deeper, there'll be some resources as well. So if you hop on today and you can do this on your phone or your tablet or your computer or whatever, you'll see several resources at that page Pertaining to today's message. And so if you'd like to dig a little deeper, all of that is there. We'd love for you to stay connected all summer long. Even if you're going to miss a week or two or four here and there, that's all good. Summertime, right? We're all doing things headed different places. And as we do that, we want you to to grow. So that's how we're doing it together. Um, Now, before we get into any of the parables, what we want to do for the next two or three weeks is we wanna talk about how to read these, these passages of scripture. And not only do we wanna talk about how to read them, but how we want to interact with these passages of scripture. Because you know as well as I do that a lot of people read the Bible and they come away with very different conclusions about the very same subjects. And so we want to, well, till the soil, if you will. We wanna turn it up a little bit. We wanna get ready. And so this, this first graphic you see there. It's all about the parable of the sower. In fact, most of the passages that we'll talk about today are in the context of the parable of the sower, or as some people call it, the parable of the soils. And this is all in an effort to help re- get us ready to talk about the parables. We're not even talking about parables yet. And so as we do that, this understanding of how to read scripture is going to apply for all of us, whether we're reading Old Testament, or New Testament, Gospels. Letters, words of Jesus, other stuff. All of it applies to everything that we'll dig into this summer and beyond. But to help us lay that foundation, we'll spend about three weeks this week, next week, Memorial Day weekend, to help till this soil and, and dig in. So know, many years ago, when our boys were little, Don and I, on a Saturday morning, Austin and Carter, our two boys, we got ready for a, a Saturday hike. We were going to head out to Castlewood Canyon and do some hiking, and so we piled into, you know, the, the typical issued minivan that we had at the time, because, you know, we had these boys and carting them everywhere, and we piled into the minivan, and we had forgotten as we pulled out of the driveway that we had done one of those cleanup days like you're going to do this week to bring stuff to crops, right? All of our stuff was in the back of this minivan rattling around, and so on the way down to Castlewood, we pulled into the Safeway parking lot so that we could dump some of the stuff out of the back of our van into one of those donation boxes you see in the in the parking lots. And so we pulled our van up to it, left it running, boys hopped out, I hopped out, Donna hopped out, and we began making trips from the back of the van all the way to this donation box, lifted the large lid, started throwing stuff in. And after two or three trips to this donation box, I was behind the van, Donna met me there, and she... Got close to me and grabbed my arm with a death grip, and she said, somebody is in that box. And, you know, I like most all thoughtful husbands thought, yo, you crazy. You know, this is <laughs> that is, this is not true. I don't know what you had for breakfast, but this is not the case. And so I, I said, well, what do you mean somebody's in the box? She said, there's a, there's a body something. something, Something's in that box. And I said, I, I just took stuff. Nobody's in the box. Let's just finish the job. Let's go on the hike. She said, I, I'm not going up to that box. I said, well, I'll go up. Let me take some stuff. I walked up to the box, opened it up. You know, I, to be fair, I was a little nervous. And uh, I looked in, didn't see anything. I mean, I saw clothes. And I saw some shoes. I thought she... Imagine clearly you know what isn't the case and so I threw my stuff in closed it went back behind the van and said there's nobody in the box let's just finish dumping the stuff and, and go hiking she said I saw it move and you know I know what she saw she saw some things shuffle we're dumping stuff in it's not organized you know it's not stacked up nicely and she said we're not leaving until we figure this out I thought, oh, my goodness. Okay, so I knew enough to know that we needed a plan to sort this out, and she was not going to be much help behind the van. So I said, here's what we'll do. Uh, I'll go up by the box, and why don't you and the boys get in the van, since there's a murderer in the box, and and you drive away. if." somebody's in the box i'm sure they're tired of laying still and hiding from us they'll i'm sure it'll become obvious and so of course i know what's going to happen i know what's not in the box and she said that sounds great okay got a plan so she got in the van i went up and stood by the box and she put it in drive and began to pull away safeway parking lot i don't know maybe 50 yards away from the box what donna didn't know at that point in time is is the noise of the van began to make its distance from the box, and I'm standing beside it, I began to hear some rustling uh, inside the box. And I wet my pants, of course. <laughs> and uh, she, she does not know this is happening, and I have no idea what to do next except stand there and, uh, and act normal. And so she turns, points the van at the box. I'm hearing rustling, and I'm kind of pointing at the box like I don't know, her and the boys are glued to the front windshield, big eyes, like they're watching, you know, a riveting movie. And about the time that I think that wrestling is going to stop, the top pops open, kid jumps out, throws the skateboard onto the pavement and begins to skate away. And I'm like, oh, no, you don't. We're having a moment. We were all traumatized by you. And I said, hey, hey, where are you going? Are you okay? He said, I'm fine. And just skated away. That was kind of it. Don and the boys are looking at me like, did that just happen? And where I'm like, I know, that just happened. And this moment, I don't even remember if we went hiking that day. This moment was a very real, adrenaline-filled reminder that even when I am absolutely 100% certain that I'm right, there's a chance that I could be wrong. Not long after that, I stumbled on a TED talk by this woman. Her name's Catherine Schultz. She uh, writes for the New Yorker. She's written a couple books. The first book that she wrote is called Being Wrong Adventures in the Margin of Error. She studied wrongness and being wrong so long that the person that introduced her uh, for this TED talk called her a wrongologist. That was her claim to research fame, and so she writes about what it means to be wrong. And That's not all she's written about. She's written a second book as well, but this is what initially put her on the map was this TED Talk. If you go to that Grow page, you'll find a link to it, and it's worth the 17 minutes to watch it. When she's there explaining her research and how it all came together, she, and you can answer this question for me, uh, as just as the last service did, Um, she asks a question of a, a part of her audience there at the TED Talk who's sitting near her so they can talk back to her a bit. And she asks them this question. You can ponder it. Tell me what it feels like to be wrong. And they gave her some answers, some thoughtful answers. I bet you could answer pretty quickly as well. What do you think? What does it feel like to be wrong? Embarrassing, what else? Humbling, Humbling. very good. What else? Disappointed, Disappointed. very good. Surprising. Surprising. (laughs) That's DC, just pray for Helena. That's, that's That's his wife, who's not here today. He would have a bruise on his side if she was. These are the same answers that she received in that moment, of course. But then she says, very thoughtfully, very carefully, these are the feelings we associate with being wrong. And you've named them. You know, it's, it's humiliating, it's, it's humbling, it's, it's embarrassing, disappointing, surprising, all of those things. But you have not actually described what it feels like to be wrong. What you have described is what it feels like to realize that you're wrong. And there's a difference. The point that she makes is profound and she builds some of her content in the talk around it. What it feels like to be wrong, well that's exactly the same feeling you have when you're right, exactly. standing back by the van, chatting with Donna about the fictitious person who was hiding in the donation box. I know what it felt like. I was sure. I was confident. I thought she was utterly ridiculous. I mean, what are the odds that somebody's lying in a donation box? I was absolutely certain I was right. And you know what that feels like? Well, it feels like confidence. It feels like Oh, a bit of pride, maybe. It feels like you are not open to other possibilities. Why would you be open to other possibilities? You know what color the sky is. You know that you are what? You know that you're right. What it feels like to realize you're wrong. Oh, those are the feelings we associate with it. When Jesus taught in parables, when Jesus told stories to teach about the kingdom of God and other people and what it means to love, it was a confusing thing. In fact, the disciples came to Jesus and said this. They came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? Now, it's odd that they even asked him this because all rabbis told stories. Uh, All good teachers Have a story. I just told you one. I don't know if it was good or not, but we laughed a little. And hopefully it helps get us to the destination that we want to get to today. Stories draw us in. You'll forget everything else I say, but you'll remember a silly donation box thing. And this is how stories work. So why would they say to him, why do you speak to people in parables? Because when Jesus taught in parables... Something unique happened. And that uniqueness is exactly why we want to spend the summer going through them. Uh, when Jesus taught in parables, he didn't do it, do it so people would just remember. Or he, he didn't uh, use it to tell. As I was taught growing up that a, a parable is a, an earthly story with a what? Anybody know? A heavenly meaning. That's what I was taught. It sounds so... Nice, doesn't it? Sounds like everyone's welcome. It's an earthly story with a heavenly... That's not why Jesus taught in parables. Jesus gives an answer to this question. And all the verses we'll look at today, they they happen within the context of this parable of the sower, or the four soils. You know, a farmer goes out to sow his seed. And this is why for a few weeks before we dig into any of the stories of Jesus, the parables, we want to till our own soil a bit because... We want the seed of what he teaches to hit good soil, and we'll talk about what that parable means, but this is exactly why. So Jesus tells the story of the sower, and he does so, we have an account of it in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And in Luke, when he tells the story, he tells the parable, he gets to the end of the parable, and then he says this. When he said this, that's the parable, he called out, maybe a little louder than the story was. In fact, say this with me. Ready? What does he say? Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. And then, you know, it's the proverbial mic drop, right? Jesus says, yep, that was it. And you get this feeling that Jesus is saying, and we know what that means, that not literally if you had ears, I guess you heard me talk, not that. It's, there's something spiritual here. And we think it means, we think it means, if you're spiritual enough, you'll understand it. We think it means that if you believe the right things, then you're tracking with me. That's what we think Jesus meant. But that's not what he meant at all. We think the key to understanding the parables is dissecting it and pulling it apart. That wasn't the case in any shape or form. Jesus said to his disciples, and part of his answer about why does he teach in parables, Jesus said to his disciples this. He said, look, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to who? You, disciples. So Peter, James, and John. I imagine Martha and Mary, they were handing out there as well. The knowledge of these secrets, it's been given to you, but not to them. There's a group of people that don't have this knowledge. They don't have the secrets. And when you read this, you might think, well, it feels like he gave the disciples like a little decoder ring or something, you know, that they could punch in the meaning of the parable and it would spout out what it was. Or they have the, the secret handshake. They're part of the club now. But that doesn't sound like it's who Jesus is at all. It sounds like he pulled him aside and said, look, if you want to know me, here's what it looks like, but I'm not going to tell them, I'm going to leave them in the dark. That's what it feels like, but that doesn't sound like Jesus either, does it? So it can't be what he meant. In fact, when you read the account of the parable of the sower and all three of the gospels that have it, it's pretty confusing what Jesus says around it. The parable is pretty straightforward, but what Jesus says around it is a little troubling. I'm surprised that the disciples felt this way, but when they heard the parable of the sower, even though Jesus had just given them the secrets of the kingdom, when they heard the parable of the sower, they pulled Jesus aside and his disciples asked him what the parable meant. It doesn't sound like Jesus gave them the secrets, does it? It doesn't sound like Jesus said, here's here's how you understand what I'm saying, because they didn't understand what he was saying at all. In fact, in one account, in Mark's account, this this is what it says. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? I mean, how then will you understand any parable? In fact, the Gospels have the explanation of the parable of the sower, and I'm not really sure why, except the disciples didn't quite get it but you probably understood the parable of sower the first time it was told to you, you know, seed and soils and all that. I mean, at one point, different parable, same idea. At one point, Peter says, explain the parable to us. And Jesus says, are you still so what? Dull. Oh, gosh, I don't know how that would feel. Jesus asked the question. And so what is it meant by knowledge or the secrets of the knowledge? What did Jesus give the disciples? How did he explain the parables to them but not to other people? Why is there this this separation between us and them? And if you and I this summer are gonna read some of the parables of Jesus and we're gonna till our soil a bit and be ready for that seed, what would that even look like? You remember the disciples said, Look, why do you speak to people in parables? Jesus gave an answer to this question. He answered it very plainly and very straightforwardly. But it's not an answer that you're gonna like and it's one that will give you a little bit of confusion until you sit with it and look at it just a bit. Jesus answers by quoting the Old Testament prophet of Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet. Before Israel was completely destroyed and sent to exile God raised up Isaiah and gave him a message to preach Maybe you know a little bit about Isaiah you know He's the prophet that was caught up into the holy of holies. He's got a picture of heaven And he gets this understanding of the holiness of God And he feels like he is a person of unclean lips And then God takes a coal from this holy fire And touches it to his lips and doesn't burn him It cleans them, makes them pure. It's a foreshadowing of who Jesus is and what he does for us. And then, as a clean man, Isaiah says to God, well, whatever you need, send me. In fact, he says it this way. Maybe you know the quote. Here am I, send me. Missionaries all over the world use Isaiah's call to confirm their own call. And then God says, go to my people and tell them this. Now, the very next words in Isaiah chapter six are the exact words that Jesus quotes in answer to this question. Why do you teach in parables? It's not to make a complex truth simple. It's not. It's not so you'll remember the story. It's not so that we could have flannel graph in Sunday school that's not why. Here's what Jesus says. This is why I speak to them in parables. Now, this is not Isaiah. This is, but it's the same idea. He says, though seeing, they do what? Not see. And though hearing, they what? Do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. So before you read the words of Isaiah, understand this. Jesus is saying, the reason I teach in parables is a part of the prophecies of Isaiah, meaning it was for the people of Israel then, and it's for us today. And it's for you and me today because the parables are there for us to read and to try to understand and wrap our little noggins around. All of these things are connected. And so in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. In them, is the that's the parable. And he says this, you will ever be hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. This is why Jesus taught in parables. Not so you could remember it, not to make a complex truth simple. Jesus taught in parables so that he could take the truth that we seek and put it just a little bit out of reach. That ought to trouble you a little bit. It's like he put it on the top shelf. It's like he's obscuring what we need to know just a little bit. He wants us, some of us, to be hearing and never understanding, to be ever seeing but never perceiving. Why would he do that? Why would he want you to be confused? Why would he want you to read a story and feel like, I understand God less now? Boy, it ought to be something you wrestle with because it's who Jesus is and it's what he did. And because he did it, well, he's drawing us in a bit. It's like he put the truth on this top shelf and some of us walk by it and say, look at that, I don't know, is it worth it? Some of us ask for a little help, can you help me reach that? Some of us say, I'm going to get it myself, I need a ladder, don't have a ladder, I got some wood and some nails, I think I'll build me a ladder. And we do what we have to do to reach it. Some people see it on the top shelf and say, I'm good. Now, when you read the Gospels and the parables, that's exactly what happened with some of the listeners. The parables had this way of dividing a crowd between those who were curious, needed, wanted to learn, and those who would hear what Jesus said, find it confusing, a little curious, but they would say, I'm good. I don't need it. Here's what he says to the disciples. In that same context in Matthew, parable of the sower, he said, but blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they, what? Hear. I don't think they did at all. Do, Do you? They were forever walking around and saying, I don't get it. Can you explain it to us? We're not tracking. This seems to be how the disciples were. Now, I've begun to rethink what I think about the the idiocy of the disciples. When you read the Gospels, it's easy to paint them as, you know, very thick-headed, lunkheads that never got it, and this is how it was, because they were forever saying, I don't understand. Explain it to me. I'm not sure what you mean. Could you help break that down? And Jesus would do it again and again and again. We don't understand. We're confused. This, I believe is the secret of the kingdom, the disciples had the ability to say, and they show it over and over again, I don't know. I don't understand. What do you mean, Jesus? Which is an incredible thing for a young Jewish student to say to a rabbi. I don't know what you mean by that. Could you explain it to us again? Unheard of, in fact, in Jewish learning. This is who the disciples were. Different than anybody else that walked away, decided the truth on the top shelf, isn't worth the effort. The disciples were, when you read the gospels, you can see it over and over again, they were humble and they were hungry. I know. I know it's so hard to be wrong and we described what it feels like to be wrong in very articulate ways and in very quick manner but the disciples had decided at some point I don't know what he's saying and I don't know why he's saying it and that story I didn't even follow him but I want to know because it's him and I'm humble enough to ask and I'm hungry enough to stick around for the rest of the story this this is what it means to pursue the truth in the context of a parable or to even call yourself a follower of Jesus, to be humble and to be hungry. Here's another way of saying it, and this is probably a a bit more penetrating but thoughtful as we consider how the scriptures might teach us over the next several weeks. How open are you to the idea that the conviction or belief that you currently hold might be incorrect. If we were to grade your openness on a scale of one to 10, or a percentage, zero to 100, What I would say as I read the Gospels and watch Jesus interacting with the disciples and the Pharisees and people in between, I would say this is a true and correct principle of Scripture. Our openness to this idea is directly proportional to how much we grow spiritually. How open are you to the idea that there's something else to be learned that there is a a way to approach scripture that is the posture of a learner. That when Jesus says, here's what I want you to do, here's what I want you to do, I want you to ask. I want you to seek. I want you to knock. Because Jesus says, if you ask, it will what? It will be given to you. If you seek, you will what? You will find. That's right. If you knock, what happens? The door gets opened. That's right. And so, when Jesus tells the story, and it's a bit confusing, the disciples, humble and hungry, stick around long enough to say, Let's try that one more time, Jesus. I don't get it. Help me understand. And so, could it be possible that we're stuck in our walk when it comes to our spiritual growth, our understanding of God because we've decided that we know what we need to know the people who know what they need to know heard the parables of Jesus and were driven from him the people who knew what they didn't know heard Jesus talk and were drawn to him which one are you which one do you want to be Let me guide you through a prayer that will help us kind of begin to till the soil just a little bit, okay? Let's pray together. Lord, right now we seek you. We desire to know you in deeper ways. Um, Online, here in this room, all of us taking this moment, Lord, before we go on about the busyness of our day. Our hope and our prayer is that through these prayers of ours, we would see you in a new way. So Lord, there are many of us that have lots of baggage about feeling wrong. We don't want to be wrong. We don't want to miss it. And so we've taken the approach, many of us, of not admitting it or being right or maybe uh, digging in, researching enough, doing what we need to do to be sure that we're not wrong. And some of our efforts in those directions, Lord, have uh, hardened our hearts a bit, have closed us off to important ideas that deeply taught in Scripture. Lord, we want to be the kind of people that when we read a a scripture that is confusing to us, we don't try to pigeonhole it into our current theology that we sometimes just raise our hands and surrender and maybe even a bit of frustration and say, I don't understand. Lord, it very well could be that you're looking from us to hear from us in our prayers And in our meditations and our thoughts, well, this thing just confuses the heck out of me. I don't know what to do with it. But I believe that some of us, when we at least admit that, we have a place to start. So, Lord, what we're asking for uh, each of us right now is that you would show us what it means to be humble and hungry when it comes to you and spiritual truth, (laughs) relationships, and how love works and what it means to grow the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. How we can approach other people who disagree with us and hold different opinions. What does it look like to display kindness and love in those circumstances where we see a culture that is ripped apart by ideologies and opinions and we want nothing to do with that we want deeply to build relationships that that bridge gaps and the disciples teach us Jesus teaches through the parables that humility is the beginning of that as we think about the summer to come and the ways in which scripture might teach us, shape us, we ask that you would show us places where we need to pay attention, struggle with the I don't know for a while and lean into new ideas and new thoughts. Lord, we want to know you. We want to be shaped by you. And as much as we hate to admit it, we're probably pretty sure that there's no way we're 100% right. So we open our hands and we can do so, Lord, because we're secure in your love. The blessing that you have poured out on us isn't dependent on us having the right beliefs or the right answer. It surely isn't dependent on us knowing all the things that we don't know yet. It is only based on the overwhelming capacity of your love for each of us and so we receive it and we're invited into this place of freedom where we can say we don't know because your love covers all the places in our heart and in our lives every relationship it's this blessing that was given to us passed down generation after generation that we belong to you that nothing can separate us from your love not even our ignorance or our shortcomings or our misunderstandings or even, Lord, our inability to admit it when we're wrong. And so we celebrate that blessing now and we step into this place of freedom because of it. Help us to open-handedly seek you that you would change us and shape us.